Is it more embarrassing telling our friends that we had to record the Percy Jackson podcast or telling them that our other plans were bowling? Yeah, I don't know. You guys decide. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Carter, give us that intro. I'm going to cry. Oh, guys, this is emotional. All right. Hi, everyone. This is a big moment. This is episode 69 the final episode of the Heroes of Olympus. We're feeling a lot of feelings. We're gonna wrap everything up. There's Nico, there's dramatic returns from death. There's a little bit of Piper, there's dragons, there's a really sassy anti-love confession. You know what's coming, you know what's coming. We're finishing it up. We're finishing up the series, stick around. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Woo! Here we are, here we are. Guys, since day one, I think that I started listening when you guys had three episodes out, and I felt so seen. I felt so happy that there were people my age, particularly. (laughs) We were all in college when this started, when you started. I'm really roping myself into this. This this podcast was the reason that I read Percy Jackson. Yeah, it was. So. Aww. Which was the reason that you were able to get married. Yep. So Yeah. Seaweed <laughs> <laughs> brain sparks love. We owe it all seaweed brain. We are joined by Blue and Josh, in case you didn't recognize their voices from last week. Hey, guys. Hi. Hi. Long time no see. We're happy to be here. I honestly, like, I wonder if I'm going to get super emotional when we finish. Just for, like, not for the content at the end of this chapters, but for just, like, finishing <laughs> the Heroes of Olympus. It's we'll a big see. moment. It's kind of huge. Also, I'm tired, so I might just cry. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. You know, we we all might shed a tear here or there. It's important. All right. Where did we last leave off, Carter? So we're jumping back in time to the moment right before um, Jason and Piper and Leo go up into the sky with Gaia because there is other shit to do. Specifically, Will comes up to Nico in the middle of battle. This was actually written about in jason's perspective in the past few chapters we didn't mention it because we're gonna come back to it now we're back to it it's here will shows up he whispers just octavian into nico's ear in the middle of battle and nico like runs away from jason and is like sorry i got business to attend to oh they zoom off together if this is what the will and nico book is going to be like i am so excited yeah if it's really just like they're having their own adventure which i don't think we should call this an adventure but um <laughs> This situation is pretty severe. With you. This is kind of serving Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead a little bit at this moment. Yeah, just being the two on the sidelines to the main plot. The two on the sidelines. Also, 
gay lovers. Maybe not. Okay, not everyone has to feel this way about Tom Stoppard. Was... We'll, we'll leave it in. <laughs> you have the quote here. Nico witnessed many forms of death. He didn't think anything could surprise him anymore. And right off the bat, we're already just getting into something powerful. It's just, he's so dramatic every single time. <laughs> he's, that's what's so relatable about him. Yes. Like, I, I also think in terms like this, it is so relatable. It, I would have that same thought. I love him. I love Nico D'Angelo. It's, I'm glad that Rick points it out too, because anytime we read from Nico's perspective, I feel like there's going to be a murder. Yeah. Like someone is going to be murdered. <laughs> And Rick just, Rick just tells us. Yeah. He was like, get ready for it. Yeah. As they're seeing Leo fly up into the sky with Gaia and Jason and Piper follow after them, Nico was like, um, and Will is like, hey, 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 there's nothing we can do about that. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there, but I doubt there's much we can do about that. We've got other problems. That's hilarious. <laughs> Takes me out. I like that Will can see the small picture. I think that that's a valuable quality in a boyfriend. Exactly. Especially for somebody like Nico who literally lives on life and death terms every single day. Yes, absolutely. It's it's also a good perspective, I think, just from like a, a normal demigod, air yes. quotes. They're always seeing the, the seven flying off and doing crazy things. And they're just like, well, that's happening. I, I guess I'll try and help some other way. Yes. <laughs> and it's so important. Very good. Very good. Ba- like there's literally a full blown battle happening at camp while everyone's mm. in the sky, like with the gigantic monster army that's surrounding everyone. Lest we forget all of the onagers and they all have to work together. Like yeah. all of the pieces have to fit together and all of the demigods help on whatever scale that they're working on. And it's nice to go from like this big giant, oh my God, we're fighting Gaia to something that we can wrap our head around a little bit more. Yeah. Something that is a little more human than yeah. God. Can you explain this scene in your perspective? What happens with Octavian? So I feel like Octavian is a horrible person. And like we've, we've been learning that for multiple books at this point. Nico calls but him then... a scumbag. And I just have to say, I think that's like some of the most severe language that Rick has ever used when talking about another demigod. <laughs> he calls him a scumbag. And that really stuck out to me. I was like, oh, uh, uh, you know what? Nico probably curses. Anyway, <laughs> certainly. But we finally get some perspective on Octavian when they're talking to Apollo a while ago about how he kind of fed into how Octavian was feeling and, like, made him turn as crazy as he is. And then this happens, and I feel like it's the most horrific death that we see in any of this. I was I was very... I was like, calm down, Rick. Why are you doing this to him? It's a children's book. This isn't okay. It was so severe. It felt, it felt very severe, but maybe that's just because I was influenced by how strongly you felt about it. Like, he's trying to launch a catapult and be the hero and kill Gaia, but he doesn't care if he kills anybody else in the process. Yeah. I think this and the Bryce Lawrence death are kind of equally violent, but this one is scarier because Octavian is, like, pathetic. So there's this sense that, like, Mm -hmm. his almost childlike delusion is something that we should stop and intervene Mm -hmm. with, and that we feel bad that he's doing this to himself, versus with Bryce, Lawrence is just, like, kind of scary and evil. And so whatever Nico does to him, we can sort of distance ourselves from. 
But the Octavian Bryce Lawrence is, like, was also sad. posing a present danger. Yeah. Which it is clear that Octavian cannot. He does not have any power anymore politically, and he has never had any power. Well, he is with the bomb. Well, I guess that's true. Yeah. But, like, what is he going to do? Is he going to explode the bomb on them in that moment? I guess he could, maybe. As I'm saying that, I was like, maybe he would. And but, he has um, displayed the fact that he has political power because he's the one who brought all of these monster forces. He's the one yeah, who Yeah, but he's, like, lost convinced... the political power now. He's been, like, delegitimized by Reyna's successful return. I guess that's true, since Reyna's back. But he he literally, however he did it, he wove his way into being the leader. He had power, certainly. Obviously, we found out from, like, Dakota and whatever that not everyone was following Octavian, but, like, most people were following Octavian. It's yeah. True. Which says something about how they teach Camp Jupiter kids to think critically. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think what's scary, and this is mentioned, I believe in the Son of Neptune, when Percy gets to Camp Callback, like, Octavian doesn't have a specific power, but he's so persuasive that it doesn't matter. It's it's haunting because it is so human. He just, he has some sort of power with words and communication and psychology that he knows how to talk to people. And that's a, that's a really frightening power because it can go to somebody like Octavian who's unhinged. Yeah. And I think what's sad in this is that there are three people there that could have stopped him, but could have stopped him because Nico has that quote where his father says some deaths cannot be prevented. So I don't know. That's... That's up for discussion. I think the the death in itself was already a lot. Like we hadn't gone that far in in these books very much. But when Rick adds in Jason hearing him scream when he's flying through the air attached to the boulder, again I'm like, this is this is too far. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure Leo hears him yes. also when he's in the sky. And I'm like, why do we keep doubling down on this? This is a sad thing that happened. <laughs> yeah. he, Leo's like, I heard a girlish scream. I mean, this is the type of death that we are trained by our media to be most receptive to, right? Like the first Disney movie ever made did involve a person falling to their death mm-hmm. yeah. while like screaming. Referencing Scar, the Lion King, right? Is that what you're referencing? Yeah, that was a reference to Snow right? White. But it's many of them. Like, like Disney villains often die very, very gruesomely where like you cannot see gore but you the noise in particular like there's a lot of references to the sound and that's like a very classic hallmark of children's media right that you hear the demise Ah, but i will say this this situation does something really strong for will and nico's relationship because after this nico's like well that man's gonna want nothing to do with me because i'm a psychopath and i let somebody die but it's not true and nico kind of learns that like oh he can be loved even though, you know, he, he's done some sketchy things. You guys had a note in here about Annabeth. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. Uh, we said Nico is our systems guy. I think Erica included this. I don't know. I was just kind of um, confused why Nico thinks this is his fault. Because he stops him. He, he stops him. He says, like, just let him go. Like, we can't do anything. Well, I don't think there was anything he could have done anyways, though. <sighs> I mean, he could have punched him in the face. You could have knocked him out. Another blonde could have been unconscious. Like, it's pretty common. <laughs> in my head, when I'm reading it, he's, he's a pretty good distance away from him. And it's mm-hmm. not like he could have immediately stopped it. Yeah. That's, that's how I picture it. Oh, I picture it a very close conversation, and Nico physically decides to take a step back and let that guy do the thing. Let the guy die, basically. So the line is, Octavian, don't, Will pleaded, we can't allow you. Will, Nico said, we can't stop him. Solas stared at him in disbelief, but Nico remembered his father's words in the Chapel of Bones, some deaths cannot be prevented. Yeah, so in a way, that does directly affect their relationship, because Nico says to Will, 
we can't stop this. Yeah. But I will say it is very refreshing in light of Percy and Annabeth, who are always so stubborn in making sure that they do the exact right yes. thing and very exactly, strong morals. Yes. And they're like, we have to save everybody. And Nico is really, he knows firsthand, like, you can't save everybody. So. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what I was saying. It's like such a contrast to Percybeth in their relationship and just to Percy and Annabeth as heroes. They always mm-hmm. want to do things their way. Yeah, this also just reiterates that Nico D'Angelo listens to a lot of My Chemical Romance. <laughs> oh, he absolutely does. That line about how they cannot stop the death is, I think, supposed to be on one level a metaphysical truth about the rules of the universe and prophecy in the sense that it seems like Nico is led to believe that this death is actually necessary for Gaia to be defeated. If Hades tells you that somebody has to die, then I guess you go along with it for the most part, unless you have really strong feelings in the opposite direction and are willing to take the risk that whatever prophesized obstacle you're trying to get around remains. That seems like a very large risk with substantial costs as well. But on a very interpersonal level, even if we were to strip all of that away, I think the broader statement that Nico is trying to make here, specifically to Will, who is like a doctor, basically, is that you literally can't save everybody. That's something that I never thought about before, like the perspective of Will being a doctor and like how he would have felt in that moment of having the moral code of needing to save him. Yeah. And the the opinion that Nico had, I I never thought about that before. I think that's really it's really interesting. Will is just trying to follow through on his Hippocratic oath, and Nico was like, "Let's yeah. the man." Yeah, die. yeah, it's like consistent with <laughs> their <laughs> pattern of interactions, where Will is willing to risk a lot and to have a lot of people step back. From things in order to try to mitigate harms whereas Nico's perspective is an important countervailing force to that which is that that won't always work harms will still happen and also sometimes you need to take risks you cannot save everyone like from a utilitarian like some harm has to befall some people perspective but also just on an individualistic there are some people who are in situations that make them inaccessible to help yeah you, when we really think about it it's really consistent with nico's character i mean he he was double agent you know he kept the secret of the camps on purpose he went back and forth for them he followed the instructions he pulled hazel you know like i i think it's very consistent with his character and i like i thought it was shocking when i first read it but like, the more i think about it it's, it's very consistent with his character yeah it also feels like a very i don't think this is a real word but like fabulistic way of telling the story Mm. where Octavian is a person who is the human embodiment of greed. It's not Nico who kills him. It's Octavian's overwhelming greed that gets him killed. And if it wasn't in this moment, it would be something else. It would be because the camp turns on him or it would be a Cyclops hitting him in the head or something like that. In that Disney villain way, he has to have Mm -hmm. a comeuppance for this level of hubris. Yeah, so he gets consequences. I mean, the rest the rest of the fighters don't, but I'm going to transition here because we get to see that specific death and then it immediately goes into the fact that, like, Nico has to run several funerals because a lot of campers died and it kind of puts that into perspective. How many situations, I mean, obviously not one similar to that, but how many situations like that where somebody couldn't save somebody else? And yeah. that that's a real big reminder that this was a big battle. This is it. It's over and a lot of people not just Leo, you know, gave their lives for this cause. I do also want to sit on uh, Josh's point about the way that the death is described. 
which is a choice that is in many ways very separable from all the other aspects of it that we talked about, like whether or not you feel that this is something that should change the way that some of the other characters are read and the choices that they make. It's super separate from that to just say like, why is everyone talking about the scream? The death feels so real for there to be like, slapstick humor of him screaming while he's flying behind it through the air yeah but it's just hard to get through yeah and at first i was like oh that's funny but you know i guess you're right about that the biggest moment of the series where they're defeating gaia they're just adding this in in the back end and it uh it was hard to read. I think it's actually yeah. super Rick. Yeah, it's yeah. not fully humorous. Like, what we just read, that yeah. scene with Nico and Will, is extremely serious. And it has all these things that we were talking about. The relationship, mm-hmm. the consequences, the, the patheticness of his character that makes us feel bad. But then also throwing in the fact that, like, haha, he screamed like a little girl. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is very Rick, yeah. I like that Nico mentions that he didn't even really mind the crowds at the funeral. Yes. That, was, that was nice. He's like growing into maybe being Honestly, a yeah. If we feel like we can close off the Octavian discussion for now, Let's we can transition into. Maybe we did it justice. Yeah. yeah. We'll transition to the rest of Nico right. running the funerals, debriefing with all the other members of our main character squad. That was a very visual moment for me when I was reading about the reunion of the seven but not seven anymore on the on the big house porch that was Mm -hmm. very visual for me and it was it was really emotional so everyone thinks leo is dead including nico who of course like he knows yeah nico says multiple times to multiple people including hazel i felt leo's death he's dead it maybe it felt different than other death sensations but it was a death sensation piper is so devastated yeah so devastated and hazel's also very upset and i really also another huge visual moment was when they realized that hazel didn't have the cure yeah. i think if we ever get to this point in the disney plus series which like we probably like, and i'm gonna hold out hope but if we ever get to this point <laughs> i think it would be really cool if they left the audience in the dark with that plan leo died and we had to, like, hear Hazel and Frank retelling the story when the cure is, like, all of a sudden not there and we get to, like, see it as a flashback. I I could see that. That would be so cool. If I were Hazel and Frank, I don't know how I'd be feeling right now. Yeah. Those are the people who really seem that they were suffering the most because of... Guilt. Yeah. Because of guilt. I mean, it speaks to the obligation that they actually took on in the first place yeah. when leo approached them about this you know the, the it was i think something that they understood would be a sacrifice both in terms of logistics the relationships that they had with the rest of the seven in the intermediary time but also dealing with the consequences of the plan that they agreed to the risks that they bore the reality of in their view the plan probably not working yeah it's rough it's rough for them especially hazel who is younger (laughs) not to make this about percy again but (laughs) i think percy's fatal flaw i think percy's prophecy in this book also could have been played out better if percy was the one that knew about it and he had to let leo go through with it because that would be so difficult for him you know yeah mr wants to save everybody mr is too loyal um mr perfectly fine (laughs) i I think that would have been a really strong way to tie in percy's fatal flaw in this book but again maybe i'm just a sin for percy jackson he like and there's the whole thing like leo chooses hazel and frank because as romans they will understand sacrifice 
Which I guess makes sense. That's like Leo's point. It's like, I would not pick Percy because Percy would have conflicts about it. Yeah, Percy yeah. would. Oh, yeah, Percy again, would definitely tell people. Yeah, and sure. again, Leo was smart. Leo knew exactly how to make sure he was the one who ended up sacrificing himself. No one else. Oh, Leo's so freaking smart. Can't get over it. Also, Piper. I just, I feel so bad for Piper because here she was yep. thinking she, all throughout this battle, yeah. what was on the forefront of her mind was at the end of it, I have to save Leo. I have the cure. Yeah. I have the cure. She kept saying. Or, well, it's not even Leo. Like, part of her her yeah. trauma going into it was that she was like, what if I have to pick somebody? <laughs> what if two oh, of yeah. them die and I need to figure out what to do mm-hmm. and to both lose a person and also be told that it was a betrayal and that he didn't trust her? Hazel and Frank had been <laughs> lying to her. Yeah. I am glad getting that perspective from her, though. Yeah. Jumping back to the first book when she was thinking about saving people but she wasn't really even thinking about it it was like i'm gonna pick jason i don't know what the situation is but i'm gonna save jason i think that was in mark of athena because they were on the ship yeah Yeah. and we that that was the episode i was on with you actually because i remember carter said something very specific about piper's narrative where she's talking about how the the seven feels like family but actually I would just pick Jason. Character <laughs> yeah, development, I guess. The, we yeah. get to see the growth from Piper and that she actually cares about the other people on the yeah. ship. Yeah. And not yeah. that this is in the text at all, but like Piper also thinking about her as the one who was like kind of the betrayer in The Lost Hero. And she was dealing with this yeah. concept of like, I need to be loyal to my father, my family, even if it you know means like lying to these other people. I don't know. For right. sure. Blackjack has recovered from battle, thank oh God. My God. We were so stressed. Quote, Guido had decided to adopt Reyna as his new human. Say it with me. Horse friend. Friend to all horses. <laughs> Speaking of horse girls, you know, we live in Florida and people have stupid things on their cars. And there's there was like a tire cover that says not all who wander are lost. <laughs> and I think Josh said it. Josh goes, yeah, that's something Hazel would have. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Side note there. Oh, because Hazel's also a horse girl. Hazel's yes, literally. A um, horse girl. I also do, would like to say though. if Blackjack died in this, I think that would have been so severe. Just oh my god, thank God Blackjack didn't die. That That's not a pill I'm okay. willing to swallow. Thank God he Blackjack learned his lesson. Didn't die. He saw the popular reaction to the last big animal death, and he said, "Not today." And we're grateful for I'm, that. I'm very upset that we didn't get to hear from Blackjack in this. Like, we didn't actually get to have him and Percy having conversation. Yeah. I was, like, when I heard Blackjack back in the book, I saw him. I was so happy for that because he is one of my favorite characters to talk to. (laughs) And just, just nothing. He's so close, but so far. It was weird. Yeah. I think it's Solangelo development time, hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's really funny that you had the heterosexual couple on for this um but don't make me really... say love is love don't make... <laughs> <laughs> we're here to talk about partnership <laughs> anyway yeah, yeah it's um, really beautifully Nico, written though it's it's among a series of other things that he's talking about it's just thrown in there interspersed but he he sees will running around healing people and he experiences quote a strange twinge of melancholy yeah, I think that's, that's like, oh, Will saw me do something terrible. Yeah. Like, he's not just embarrassed, he's sad, he's disappointed. Yeah, because at this point he thinks that Will is, thinks he's a monster, and he feels sad yeah. because, oh gosh, what is love if not being vulnerable and showing somebody all of your darkness and, like, living in that vulnerable space of being afraid of how they're going to see you? 
you know. Like right. the Kelly Clarkson he song. finally got over his feelings for Percy. And then immediately this happens to the next person that, that he chooses he has to like. For, yeah. And it's just, oh, uh, it, was, it was rough. Yeah, yeah, we really felt for him. And he still thinks he's leaving. Yeah. He thinks he's about to leave, right? That he's he's still planning mm-hmm. on on leaving and never seeing any of these people ever again because of homosexuality amongst other things. I think it's a little mixed at this point. Like we don't we're we're between Nico's statements on leaving. Okay. At the moment. Yeah. yeah. Um okay. Where was Hazel in the line Reina, Annabeth, and Piper were inseparable? <laughs> Here's the problem. She was with Frank. Oh. Yeah, but that's stupid. It's stupid, but it's probably what happened, yeah. Hazel is our sick sister who misses out on girl time because she's, like, out with Frank, you know? Yeah. And that sucks for her, but it's okay. I find that really unrelatable. I am not the girlfriend who's like, sorry, I have to be with the boy constantly. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. I never miss out on girl time. <laughs> <laughs> I wish everyone could see how rabid Blue just got. <laughs> I mean, it is true that, like, two of these three people that they've mentioned are um, also partnered. And yet, exactly. they have tasks exactly. to attend to as a group. Uh-huh. And they do it together. Something I like about that line, Reina, Annabeth, and Piper were inseparable, roaming the camp as a trio to check on the progress of repairs, is it's very relatable. It is like, if we were in the wake of this terrible disaster, I too would want to run my errands with my people right by my side, with my gal pals right by my side, girl power. Like I, I truly think that I'm somebody who... Even if we all had different errands to run, I would want us to do them together. And I thought it was really cute that they said they were inseparable, like bestie gals. Also, Hazel's a little younger, so like- yeah. It's also I think it's about like the positions of power, like seeing them occupy yeah. their oh. positions of power in the wake of the battle. Like we've seen them do the big fight and lead the armies and stuff, but now like yeah. Rana as Praetor, Annabeth mm-hmm. as head of Camp Apple. Chiron replacement. Chiron replacement. <laughs> Where has he been? Side note. And Piper as, like, I guess, head of Aphrodite cabin and one of the older mm-hmm. campers now. I will say I'm kind of upset that the men don't also have big responsibility on the progress of repairs. They should also be helping out. It should not just be on them. But I don't know, girl boss, I guess. The men are just not in in charge um, of, of the camp. Where is Frank um, <laughs> dealing with the progress where, of repairs? Where, where is Frank? Also a predator. Like, he needs That's to true. figure it out. I guess he's a new one. But I guess, I guess I don't know. Hazel and Frank <laughs> are doing their thing. Um, okay, well, Coach Hedge's baby is named Chuck. I guess we can assume after Chuck Norris, right? Norris. And Clarice <laughs> was named the godmother, which I think is really cute because, of course, there was a whole thing about Clarice being the first demigod that Hedge finds. But also, I think that Clarice and Hedge just have the exact same energy. So it's cute of them to, like... Yes. Yeah, it's appropriate. <laughs> um, I love the sprinkle-in of Clarice. I love that, oh, remember this character that was very prominent in the first series? Guess what? They're still here. Like, they're still important. Yeah. I like that. It's nice to see her. I miss her when yeah. she's gone. Yeah. Good Side note, I'm sorry. Where is Kyron? <laughs> I'm serious. Was yeah. he gone Where's, for some reason I forgot about? I think he's around. He's just being silent was he even mentioned in the I'm battle i'm literally searching the text for his name right now are you apple effing carter i'm literally apple effing i'm going through the epub right now where's dionysus again chiron is in the text chiron is mentioned no no, no. chiron is present <laughs> he's at the camp he's just not that useful okay. like they mention him you know at the prow of the hill not the prow it's a hill at the crest of the hill waiting to shoot Kyren apparently is the one who asks Nico to oversee the burial rites. 
abdicating that really is in his retirement era. He said, <laughs> everyone else, check on the progress of the repairs. Kyron also leads the toasts at the end. Okay. They're for the party only, I guess. That is so Kyron funny. also, earlier in the book, participates in the head camper roundtable battle discussion that Nico sees in a dream. Yeah, I mean, I remember those that. Those are the only mentions of him. Because that was the part where he was like, Annabeth, wh- what should we do? What did Annabeth say to do? Can someone show me the napkin, please? Please? Where's Annabeth? <laughs> I guess maybe Kyron is an anti-capitalist boss for refusing to do any labor. Yeah. But also no. <laughs> <laughs> so there's all this unity now between the two camps. The Roman campers, like, bivouac, start setting up their uh, tents in, like, the field at Camp Half-Blood. So they're all staying. They're hanging out. They're commingling. The Hermes and the Mercury kids are stealing stuff. The kids who have similar parents are all hanging out together. We're at this dinner where it's this, like wildly suddenly almost jarringly heartwarming teenager summer camp moment yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely it's the first summer camp moment since the end of the last olympian i think that might be right yeah i could read a book that's just this stuff i also i'm this way with tv i don't like it when the things happen i just want everyone to just be in a room together I want, I want yearly games that the the camps compete against each other in mm-hmm. that they have to they like go to each camp every year they switch back and forth this is what i'm thinking of during all yeah. of this they said like maybe yeah. reina shouldn't be allowed to play capture the flag and piper says that to reina in the next yeah. pov because she would literally yeah. defeat everyone by herself yes yeah, single-handedly <laughs> as she should as she should so anyway here's the big moment you guys anyway frank took over reina and i agree this marks a new era of friendship between the camps Reina clapped him on the back. That's right. For hundreds of years, the gods tried to separate us to keep us from fighting. But there's a better kind of peace. Cooperation. Piper stood up from the audience. Are you sure your mom is a war goddess? Yes, McLean. Reina said, I still intend to fight a lot of battles. But from now on, we fight together. That got a big cheer. Zhang raised his hand for quiet. You'll all be welcome at Camp Jupiter. We've come to an agreement with Chiron, a free exchange program between the camps. Weekend visits, training programs, and of course, emergency aid in times of need. And parties? asked Dakota. Hear, hear, said Connor Stoll. Raina spread her arms. That goes without saying. We Romans invented parties. <laughs> Another big, oh. So thank you, Raina concluded. All of you. We could have chosen hatred and war. Instead, we found acceptance and friendship. Then she did something so unexpected, Nico would later think he dreamed it. She walked up to Nico, who was standing to one side in the shadows as usual. She grabbed his hand and pulled him gently into the firelight. We had one home, she said. Now we have two. She gave Nico a big hug and the crowd roared with approval. For once, Nico didn't feel like pulling away. He buried his face in Raina's shoulder and blinked the tears out of his eyes. And it's so vital. It's so vital. You just like you had to deal with so much terrible sadness. And we just needed that so badly. We needed a hug between Reina and Nico. And we needed Nico to think to himself, this isn't so bad about affection and friendship. And uh, I'm sorry. No, absolutely correct. Going from having nowhere where you feel safe to having two homes. Going from feeling like no one accepts you to this extremely serious bond with Reina. Pulling him gently into the firelight? 
It's the lighting mentions. That detail is so important. Out of the shadows and into the light. The idea of him, her gently like bringing him out like and not like, you know, like she turned around and yanked Nico out of the shadows to present him to everyone. That's mm-hmm. not it because she's a good leader and she knows what everyone needs and how to make people feel comfortable. And so she just kind of gently ushers him out. And if he didn't want to stand out there, I don't think she would have forced him to. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's such a big moment, too, because she's making a deliberate choice to take somebody who not just feels left out, but people let him feel Mm -hmm. left out pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. And Reyna's making a deliberate choice to choose Nico. Because, I mean, it's Greek and Roman, sure, but it's also just, like, love and acceptance and friendship. Yeah. (laughs) We needed this as the culmination of... Of, of their arc yes absolutely it, this is the the culmination conclusion of reyna and nico's friendship and finding each other and their strength in each other yeah this is how i feel now that i get to participate in a percy jackson community so <laughs> we had one home now we have two yeah <laughs> so that night nico slept in the hades cabin this is the first time i'm assuming since maybe Titan's curse, or I don't know if he was sleeping there when he was visiting the camps or what, but it's definitely not where he usually stays or chooses to spend his time. Mm-hmm. It's funny because the beds are coffins, and he's like, "Who decorated this place?" I, I imagine there's like a, a Twilight poster in there too, just like for fun, you know. Yeah. He was yeah. like, "Somebody thinks that Hades' children are vampires." What the hell? <laughs> it's just funny because they're so dramatic, and like he builds up such a dramatic mythology around himself, and then he's like, "Why mm-hmm. do people think that I'm like nocturnal?" Yeah, <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but also, yeah. the decor is bad. But also, yeah, not him having opinions about interior design, girl. Girl, Nathan Burke. Guess who else is sleeping in there? It's Hazel. Quote, it made him happy to live with a sister again. Yeah, that was really oh, very wow. sweet. Heartbreaking. Yeah. My heart is snapping in half. Although Hazel is like has her whole 1940s thing going on, so she's like quarantined herself from him so that he can't see her in the cabin. <laughs> Frank stops by, right? Frank and Hazel yeah. talking to Leo, revisiting the firewood. Firewood what? Yeah. What was the firewood for? Just forgot. (laughs) Looking at it from the end, it was part of his, like, being fragile thing, and now he's not fragile anymore. You know? Now he's a big leader. He's secure in his... In his masculinity. Piece of firewood, I guess. I really like that Nico likes making Frank uncomfortable. Yeah, he gets the good big bro moments in there. Yeah, I like it. Well, Nico's like, yeah, no, good job not dying, Frank. Also, you're not close to death. I can sense it. No worries. It's a good sign that you're like you're comfortable talking about the firewood thing. I know about it because Hazel told me, but like I know that you didn't want me to know about it. But like, good that you can talk about that now. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Character growth. He's talking to Hazel. Somebody read this because this this got me good. No, Nico said, getting a second life is one thing. Making it a better life, that's the trick. As soon as he said it, Nico realized he could have been talking about himself. He decided not to bring that up. I just love that Nico is somebody who doesn't take his own advice. Like, (laughs) the disaster. You find that relatable or... You know that TikTok that blew up that was like, you can make mistakes and you don't have to be a perfect person all the time. But I do! That's Nico. (laughs) Perfectionist. (laughs) And he does have insomnia. He is nocturnal because he's like... So stressed. He's honestly, he's still like kind of internally freaking out about the Octavian thing, even though he's staying calm. The imagery of him still being awake, like lying awake in his coffin when Will Solis knocks on his door is kind of adorable. Mm -hmm. 
Very cute. Except it's not. He he thinks it's going to be, though. Like, he wants it to be. He's disappointed when it's Jason. I would be, too. Read it, Carter. <laughs> he turned, registering a face with blonde hair, and for a split second, he thought it was Will Solis. When Nico realized it was Jason, he was disappointed. Then he felt angry with himself for feeling that way. Ooh, girl. Yeah. This broke me a little bit. You know? Yeah. He's preemptively upset with himself, basically for liking a boy. I get. I mean, we've been there. We've all been there. Um, liking boys is hard. <laughs> it's scary for him to like him. And we're going to get to see the growth. We're going to get to see the growth. I, you see it a little bit in Trials of Apollo, but I cannot wait for the Solangelo yeah. book. It's going to be very Nico good. doesn't want to like Will, to be clear, because he's scared that Will won't like him back. Yes. He's angry at himself for being vulnerable but he can't help his feelings yeah and having a little crushy crush. exactly i didn't take that moment as him feeling angry at himself for for wanting it to be will i i took it as him being upset because he was upset that it was jason and like <laughs> that they that they had a little bit of a relationship <laughs> you know and he was like he was like, I can't do that to Jason. You're, kinda how, you're Jason you know? Stan is showing. Uh, I respect that. That did not even a little bit occur to me. Yeah, no. Okay, but this whole Jason-Nico <laughs> friendship thing is so funny to me because we're just assuming that after that whole, bro, you can come out of the closet conversation that they're like besties now <laughs> and they charged into battle for Leo together and Jason's stopping by to like say bye. I do like that Jason tries to give him a hug at the end of this like heartfelt conversation. Like again, we reiterate the fact that yes, he felt Leo die and Nico does not want to give him false hope and tell him that something was iffy about the death but he felt he felt him die and that's what he tells him but I do like that Jason tries to give him a hug it's really sweet and then he like drops his arm he's like no no affection I remember now you don't you don't like people Nico's like are you trying to scare me away it, I, don't, I don't know it was sweet it was sweet it was a sweet friendship moment after Nico was so mad that Jason picked him up and threw him over his shoulder <laughs> yeah <laughs> growth i guess (laughs) i was a little upset on nico's behalf when i saw the hug i was like you literally don't know him like that yeah as opposed to reyna nico says like for once he didn't want to pull away exactly exactly reyna and nico have things in common reyna knows things about him they went through some things together (laughs) they went through a lot together (laughs) they went through so much together we should also mention that earlier in this conversation nico does confirm to jason that he's staying at camp and this is the first that we the readers are hearing about this as well and we're excited nico's taking these small steps working to find a home to connect on this little vacation period that he's taking probably Probably because of the growth through Raina's mentorship. I also think that comes from, like, you know, they said that he had the experience with the funerals. And I think that Nico, maybe for once at Camp Half-Blood, actually feels needed. And, mm-hmm. I mean, for more than just funerals. I hate that I worded it like that. But, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it's it's really it's really sweet that he... He's not staying for Will specifically either. He's just like, oh, I I do feel at home here. I think that's important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of things that happen in quick succession here. The first is that we do get a final conversation with Will. The tone is miffed. Will's kind of irritated with Nico for avoiding him for the past few days. We've been in Nico's perspective. We've been assuming that Will is weirded out, freaked out by what he's done earlier. I guess it's not occurred to Nico that he might also be able to initiate future conversations. Nico also says, quote, Why would you want a son of Hades in the same room with people you're trying to heal? 
why would anyone want that? And, you know, he kind of made some points. We have to be honest. <laughs> yeah, he made some That's points. Point. Honestly, you feel Will, like, change arguments here. He's like, oh, yeah, this one isn't going to work. I'm going to make him go to the infirmary with me because he's sick, you know? He's like, ah, right. he, like, figures it Literally. out. Literally. Honestly, Will is pretty relatable in this. Like, if I had a crush, I'd be like, hey, why aren't you in the infirmary with me? You don't think I could stand to see a friendly face? <laughs> Will knows what he wants. I really liked the comment The Nico felt like a hundred skeletal butterflies were resurrecting in his stomach. That, I don't know which one of you said, aren't they invertebrates, but that- Carter. <laughs> Funny. They are invertebrates. This is interesting writing until you try to imagine this because it immediately falls apart. Don't they have an exoskeleton? Yeah, they have an exoskeleton, but I don't think it works. What is the visual motif? What are you imagining? The, exoskeleton uh, the exoskeletons of a hundred butterflies? <laughs> you can't have them stitched together because they're on the outside. I was going to say, I would rather it have been moths in his stomach. I agree. That would have been very cool. That's not a thing that you say, though. That's the joke, Carter. <laughs> <laughs> That's why, yeah. It's like, Nico's different. He's, He's not like other girls. Okay, the Spotify poll for this episode is moths versus skeletal butterflies versus exoskeleton butterflies. I say that, but also skeletal butterflies doesn't work either. You can be punk rock and have them just be normal butterflies. I guess it's less striking of a vision, but... I think I'm the punk rock person here to ask about this and i declare that he can have skeletal <laughs> butterflies in his stomach the butterflies can have bones for 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 him i guess for the purposes of this visual motif that rick is giving us uh guys i just i just went to a heart attack man concert and i think nico would have really loved that he would have had a great time i there. also have a mini recommendation for nico coming out that i'm just going to unashamedly drop into this podcast okay but nico turns from this conversation and pivots to go talk to Percy. Well, let me rephrase. I think in the book it actually says that they are being loud, and so he goes to walk over to them to shush them, but really to give us closure and to give us, the reader, the last Percybeth moment, because in case you forgot, this is the last Percybeth moment. Can we pause? Oh, man. I do want to point out that this, in its roots, is a Percybeth podcast, and we are about to witness and talk about the final Percybeth in this book series. There are glimpses of Percy and Annabeth separately and also occasionally together in Trials of Apollo, but this is like the end of essentially their love story. This is the neat little bow that we get tied up. Unless they appear in the Will and Nico book. We're hoping for them to appear in that as well. This is it. We have to let them go. Also kind of emotionally let them go at the end of House of Hades. I agree. I, like I agree. In the sense that we knew we were never going to hear from them. Over by the hearth in the center of the common, Percy was grinning at something Annabeth had just told him. Annabeth laughed and playfully slapped his arm. I'll be right back, Nico told Will. Promise on the sticks and everything. He walked over to Percy and Annabeth, who were both still grinning like crazy. Hey man, Percy said. Annabeth just told me some good news. Sorry if I got a little loud. We're going to spend our senior year together, Annabeth explained, here in New York. And after graduation, college in New Rome, Percy pumped his fist like he was blowing a truck horn. Four years with no monsters to fight, no battles, no stupid prophecies. Just me and Annabeth getting our degrees, hanging out in cafes, enjoying California. And after that, Annabeth kissed Percy on the cheek. Well, Rain and Frank said we could live in New Rome as long as we'd like. That's great, Nico said. He was a little surprised to find that he meant it. I'm staying too, here at Camp Half-Blood. Awesome, Percy said. Nico studied his face, his sea-green eyes, his grin, his ruffled black hair. 
somehow Percy seemed like a regular guy now, not a mythical figure. Not someone to idolize or crush on. So, Nico said, since we're going to be spending at least a year seeing each other at camp, I think I should clear the air. Percy's smile wavered. What do you mean? For a long time, Nico said, I had a crush on you. I just wanted you to know. Percy looked at Nico, then at Annabeth, as if to check that he'd heard correctly, then back at Nico. You... Yeah, Nico said. You're a great person, but I'm over that. I'm happy for you guys. You... So you mean... Right. Annabeth's gray eyes started to sparkle. She gave Nico a sideways smile. Wait, Percy said. So you mean... Right, Nico said again. But it's cool. We're cool. I mean, I see now uh, you're cute, but you're not my type. I'm not your type. <laughs> Wait, so... See you around, Percy, Nico said. <laughs> Annabeth, she raised her hand for a high five. Nico obliged. Then he walked back across the green to where Will Solis was waiting. It's so good. Percy's so dumb. He's so confused. <laughs> Percy is just so upset that he's not his type. I, I genuinely think he's confused. I think he's like, oh, Nico just came out and then he told me I wasn't his type. Is he not? Like, I genuinely think he's like trying to do the math. Percy's like, but I'm the son of the sea god. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> How dare Nico be like, he doesn't look like a god anymore. Yeah, he does. Excuse you. Okay, again, this brings us to the point of we all know Nico's lying. No, see, okay, we've had this conversation with someone else. He's lying to himself as much as to us, you know, and it's good. He should be lying to himself and to us at this yes. point yeah. because he's on a healing journey. Say it until you believe it. Like, good for him, but I'm built different, so. <laughs> we can't all be as strong as Nico. It's okay. <laughs> No, we really can't. I just think it's funny that Nico felt the need to walk up to Percy and say it. It's incredibly funny. Obviously, narratively, it had to happen so that we could see yeah. it. And, like, it had to happen for the plot yeah. because it's a book. But, like, IRL, could you imagine seeing him and just being like, I had a crush on you, but I don't think you're hot anymore. And that's my new boyfriend. <laughs> and then him and Annabeth high five and he walks and away. And then get his girlfriend to high five you. The high five. The high five really sells it. The Annabeth of it all. The Annabeth of it all is so important. She gives him a sideways smile and then high fives him. She's like, girl, me too. She's like, insult my boyfriend, slay. Keep him humble. Keep him humble. Okay, go ahead and do your wreck, Carter. So this moment really specifically reminds me of a scene in an anime that I cannot evangelize more strongly to you the anime is called Given. It is also a manga, a live action TV show, a stage production. So I would start with the anime. The anime is really worth that. Given is the gay punk rock anime. I don't know what else I could possibly say. If this is not in and of itself enough of a reason to get you to watch it, why not? What are you talking about? What could possibly be wrong with you? Um, it's not just the punchline, though. Given really is full of stories people can identify with. Let me tell you, these are Whitney Houston stories people can identify with. It's about working through mountains of trauma. It's about getting over a boy you used to be into. It's about the struggle of trying to articulate emotions from a place of emotional repression and fear and conflict. The parallel is a specific scene uh, after the big final debut of the new punk rock band where one of the main characters who has spent most of the series using music and creation 
and composition as an outlet to process an old relationship that he's gotten out of. He has this moment where he's getting off stage and he's just sitting there and thinking through and reflecting to himself. And he's envisioning a conversation with the person he used to be in love with. And he just says this really beautiful line about how he's not lonely. And we're going to read in Japanese first. The translation of which is, I'm not lonely. I'm not sad. I'm doing fun things. I like music. I have fun during lunch breaks. I have a new person that I like. If only I could talk to you one more time. This is all, of course, spoken in his mind to his ex who is no longer around. The moments of healing that both of these works portray for these like manic pixie dream boy damaged gay boys warms my heart so much. All right, you just sold me. The recommendation again is given. The soundtrack is out of this world. No, that sounds very good. It also sounds like right up my alley. Yeah, it does sound exactly like blue. Yeah. Sounds great for me, personally. That was, if nothing else, Carter, you got me. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. We appreciate it, Carter. I look forward to, to people commenting and DMing us that they have been watching the anime. The alarming thing is that not that many people I know have consumed Given. I watched uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because of you guys. Oh, excellent. Changing hearts, changing minds, impacting lives. <laughs> this podcast has been a 69-episode <laughs> secret plan to get people to watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. If you haven't seen it yet! Please, please, we are begging you. Something called comparative literature, and you can just take Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Seaweed Brain Podcast and just do some kind of essay there. Oh, you want me to give you an essay? Like the beginning of our relationship? Wait, yes, Blue's essay on Rachel, right? Rachel was right there. Uh, It was was great. It was a moment, and then I was listening to Seaweed Brain, and you decided to read a quote from the essay that I sent you. In confidence. In confidence. And I, I was know. like, guys, you're never going to believe this. I was only embarrassed for like a week. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to plug it. Like everyone should know. It was so nicely written though. Aww. Don't feel bad. You changed my life because then I got to be on the podcast that I loved so much. And I, I got to meet all the wonderful people in the Percy Jackson community. So I actually have some questions for you guys. This is your final episode, uh, but we're going we're gonna to do that later. We, we do have a little bit more book to get through, but I do have some questions for you guys. Well, that does wrap up Nico. We're jumping into Piper really quick. It's sad. Let me say that, personally. Backsliding. No, it's really sad. It's really sad. It is, it is immediately opening with, Drew likes makeup and she's bad. Like, shut up. I guess it's because we're back at Camp Half-Blood. Like, we're being violent again to other women. Also, it would be such an effective storyline if, like, Piper's voice was still healing and she, like, actually couldn't hold the conversation. Period. I really love that idea. This conversation is giving top ten moments in this book because Rain is just so good all throughout this book. But they have this beautiful, beautiful conversation where Piper's just like, Raina, no one gives you enough credit for what you do and what you did for this battle and to, like, create this piece. And Raina's like, ah, thanks. And Piper's like, do you lend your strength to other people in battle? And Raina's like, yeah, how did you know? And Piper's just like, I can just tell. Which I think is cool, given Piper's emotional intelligence. Yeah. With being able to really be in tune with her emotions and the emotions of other people. Piper's like, how do you get all of your strength back? And Raina said, when I get the strength back, I'll let you know. (laughs) That touches me... (laughs) 
Yeah. The way that some people really just give, 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 and give. And not that I'm saying it's admirable to be always giving and never taking, but the world really runs mm. on women who give and give and give. And I wish it wasn't that way. And I wish that they could have a break. But if you're one of those women, God bless you. Take a break. Um, a lot, I'm sure a lot of us were raised by those women. So like, shout out to them. <laughs> I think that there's a lot of beauty in this scene too, because Raina's like delicately touching the water and they like start out the conversation with something funny, but yeah. really they're talking about something serious and it shows their relationship development and it shows Piper's character development, us wanting more for Raina. It really, it really ties a bow quite nicely, I think. Yeah. There's one more moment in the conversation that we have to mention. I think it seems that this is the longest conversation that Piper and Reyna have had. So this is the first opportunity for Reyna to ask Piper for some advice. Because she has her head straight on about guys and boys and stuff. Apparently. <laughs> that is a delightful callback. No, it's just because of literally biological relations who are unpleasant. In case you have forgotten, Reyna, we are told in The Mark of Athena, had a conversation with Aphrodite in South Carolina, or Venus, I think it was Venus actually, in which she was told something bad. We're told um, a little bit later in the books that specifically what Venus said was that no demigod shall heal your heart. Yeah, that's upsetting as someone who like is a really avid Reina Talia shipper, but But also I also think that Reina's storyline is that she doesn't need, she doesn't need romantic love and that's important. I really do like that. And I, I think Piper has the line in there where they're talking about how much all the other demigods have changed so far throughout the journey and how much Reyna still seems the same at just like mm. how much more developed as a person she is already and right. like a full version of herself. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was a really powerful line in this in the sequence. You can tie that too to like that strength that Piper's talking about, it's not necessarily just, like, physical strength. It's, like, oh, she went through this insane battle and a lot of people are still recovering and, like, Reyna is holding her own and still still who she was before it. From there, a final moment of this Piper POV is, of course, Piper and Jason. It's honestly, it's honestly cute. It makes me wish I liked them even a little bit <laughs> yeah. as a couple. No, I have does. to agree. I'm it's a sucker really for sweet. a rooftop. Sucker for rooftop. rooftop. Sucker for recreating the fake memory. That's so sweet. Yeah. They recreate the fake memory of the first kiss that they had, which I think is a really, if I shipped them, I agree, Blue. Adorable. Yeah, absolutely. So smart on Jason's part. Very smart on Jason's <laughs> part. I think it's the first smart thing he's done. That's so rude. I'm sorry, Jason. He got glasses. Mm-hmm. He's changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got, he got smarter after the glasses. Not the glasses. <laughs> they go up to the rooftop they kiss she says i love you jason goes love you too pipes and then they kind of just talk about leo they both believe that he's still alive they're like our best friend leo and i'm like since when (laughs) yeah are you gonna recreate all the fake friendship memories you had amen (laughs) a freaking amen they're like we have to believe that he's still alive he's you know smart enough and just wild enough that it could be true right and they just stay up all night talking about leo lo and behold okay i have to say so remember i was like i don't know that i finished this book i realized i definitely did because the moment where you're in the last page of piper's pov and you're like fairly certain that leo is dead or not depending on how dumb you were when you were 14 i was dumb (laughs) you flip the page to piper's last 
page, which is like half a page. And then you see Leo's name as the next chapter heading. So you see, right, we have to believe Leo is still alive at the top of the page. And then you see Leo's name and you're like, oh, Rick, Rick, you did it again. (laughs) You dirty bastard. (laughs) And then we're in Leo's POV. Okay. So the deal with Leo is that he was dead. We know he was dead. Nico knows he was dead. That's how we open this chapter. It says Leo was dead. And we get a description of how Leo feels coming back to life. It's a rough experience for him. Apparently the physician's cure feels bad. I don't know. Yeah, even though they had injected it into his veins, I kind of imagine it like it's cough syrup. You just taste it and you're like, oh, what the (laughs) heck is that? And he's like, God, that was awful. I'll die again, but don't give me more of that stuff. Wow. Okay, for someone who doesn't like Leo, you got his personality down and pounding right there. That was great. Good Leo impression. Let's not break down if I'm Leo in real life or not. I don't want to go there tonight. <laughs> All the ladies oh, love Leo. <laughs> All the ladies love Leo. Yep, but he is back to life. His whole plan worked. Festus woke him up when they found Ajijia using the astrolab and the crystal, right? <laughs> using math and science and stuff. I like that <laughs> it wasn't explained because I don't I probably wouldn't be able to, able to follow it anyway and it worked. That's the point. It is just magic. It's, magic. it's just magic. It's 100% magic and he crash lands on Ojijia. I love that. He has this whole thing planned out and then of course he like tumbles in a ball of flames. Yeah. <laughs> and Calypso is standing there waiting for him. He lands like at her feet. Perfectly. And then he and Calypso leave the island. We do not care. I don't know. <laughs> there are like 30 other podcasts who will get to this point at some point and we can we can leave something for them. <laughs> I just I just think it's so weird that this is the final like this is the relationship Rick decided was so important to end the series with. I do think that's strange. It's because Leo's the main character at the end. <laughs> I completely agree. It's because Leo really yeah. is the main character of the Heroes of Olympus. But I will say I am somebody who when I read Heroes of Olympus I was like okay, Calypso and Leo's weird and stupid and I hate it. And then I read the second book of Trials of Apollo, and I was like, okay, we can see it through. <laughs> we can see it through. I think it's really hard to form an opinion on this relationship based on these books. Right, because they barely are together. I am so surprised that you guys are not more emotional. This is not my podcast. I'm very emotional that we Aww. are, like, you are at the end of Heroes of Olympus. Like, you did it. Let's think about that for a second. What year of college were you when you started this podcast? We were going into our senior year. It was the pandemic. We had just been sent home from school. And I was like, Carter, I think we should do a podcast. And it should either be about Avatar or Percy Jackson. But I think that the Avatar podcast world is like oversaturated. Okay, fair (laughs) enough. I think one time you told me to make my own Percy Jackson podcast. And I told you that market was oversaturated. (laughs) The cycle of life. But do you guys remember that like three months before you started your podcast was when we got the Percy Jackson Disney Plus TV show adaption announcement. Yep. And that is when the Percy Jackson fandom decided to raise from its crypt. It's Hades cabin coffin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we all decided we're going to read the Percy Jackson books again and talk about it like this. And I am so proud of you guys. I'm very impressed. You have done something massive and don't for two seconds think you're Raina and I'm Piper. Don't for one second think that you are not (laughs) highly valued and that what you're doing isn't important. It is. You're doing something extremely important. I want to ask you guys if you had to reflect 
what's like a very big lesson you learned in all of this? I mean, I know you have more episodes. I won't get too dramatic with you, but I mean, this is this is it. You guys did ten books. That's a big deal. Oh my god. This is like circle time. <laughs> it's like what I do with kids after we play theater games. We're having our fireside conversation. We used to, you guys used to use that phrase a lot. Our campfire chat, yeah. This is the fireside chat. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's things I learned from the books and there's things I learned from like being on the internet. I'm still learning how to not have anxiety about being on the internet all the time. No, okay, now I'm going to be sappy. But Carter has always been braver than me. Carter is a very brave person. Carter does not... As far as what they put into the universe, give one single fuck about what anybody thinks of them. And I'm basically the opposite, where I'm very concerned with everybody approving of me all the time. I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this also are. (laughs) Annabeth types. But yeah, having Carter to be like, Erica, it's really fine. I don't think that anyone's going to be upset that you said that. Or like, it's good to learn from Carter being like, I'm a hater. So what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, and... You create the environment. Like, you create the environment where other people can be a hater. I came on here so upset about whatever the hell Jason had to say. Like, you (laughs) paved the way for everyone else to feel comfortable voicing their own opinions. It's hard to trust that whoever is listening also understands the respect that we have for, like, the actual human being that is Rick Riordan who exists in real life. Absolutely. You know, because we try to strike a balance of critique, but also, like, joking around. And it's hard to be serious and also joke around and say, like, haha, jail for Rick. And also be like, <laughs> I love and respect this man. Yes. Because both can and should coexist. We do really like the books. I think it's important for people to understand how much we like the books and do appreciate Rick. And I think that I've learned a lot from from you, Erica, about how how to do both things, how to hold critiques and to think really critically about the things that we're engaging with in these discussions, but also to make sure that people understand that critique is not a substitute for appreciation, but rather a compliment. It's something that helps us to understand our appreciation and feel it more deeply. We are not experts in every respect, but we really appreciate the people who listen to the podcast for giving us the space to do the very specific thing that we do and to engage in the manner that we do. And to be able to ask questions and be like, I don't know everything about this and I want to talk about it with you. Like, it's okay to have questions and to not be sure how you feel about something and also to change your mind. When we started this podcast, I was anti-Rachel Elizabeth Dare. We can grow, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I also was pretty anti-Piper before I started listening to your podcast. So we're growing, you know? I was anti-Piper when we started this podcast. Yeah. The opportunity to have the grace to say these things, to get things wrong on the internet, which everyone inevitably does, is so nice and really is just a function of who's listening, the community that is out there and the liminal space that exists between us. You know, there's a lot of nice things about podcasting as a medium. You know, the length of the conversations, the relationships that you build with people, I think are really good for engendering a depth of thought and a generosity and a patience and mercy almost with people that is very beautiful and hard to do on the internet. But I, you know, even in spite of all of those things, I don't think that we would be able to maintain the relationship that we do with people and to be able to continue to get such grace and patience from our audience as we make this content is not something that we take for granted. We're very, we're very, very appreciative of how special it is that our podcasting experience and our podcast reception is what it is. I would also say that this has been a very personal journey because I'm an actor and somebody who consumes a lot of media and I'm somebody who really values the act of consuming media in my life. 
So it's been great to be able to share personal feelings with people I don't know, like people who listen and know that like we're all experiencing this, like maybe we all cried at the end of House of Hades together and I don't even know whoever listened to that, but we all had the same experience based on a paragraph in a book. That's amazing and that's why we have stories and that's why we have media so we can all experience these things together. I mean, I feel like we graduated college together. Like, I <laughs> yeah. <feel> like <laughs> I was DMing See Me Brain podcast and I was like, hey, how do you feel about this Percy Jackson tattoo? Like, I was like, everything that you're saying is completely true and it, and it comes from the fact that you are able to put yourselves on the internet and make your personal experiences public and being able to share with other people. That's That's so important to somebody like me who did not know a single person that liked Percy Jackson. Not a single one. Oh yeah consuming really is so important it's so beautiful that we can connect through this shared media thing and that we have this opportunity to not just consume it together but also to work through it together and feel that we're consuming it together <laughs> <laughs> but really the experience of being in the world uh, guessing on other podcasts has really made me have such a special and unique respect for you erica i don't know if i should use the direct address here as as a thinker and someone who <laughs> shapes my patterns of consumptions and the way that i understand things this podcast has also given me an opportunity to really mull over my speech patterns i've been told by multiple people on the street shout out to them that my voice is very recognizable and it has given me the opportunity to think about that but also work through that in a way that does not involve trying to get a radio voice <laughs> Are you talking about people saying that you say like and um too much, Carter? <laughs> Maybe I will be more mindful of filler words, but I'm also appreciative at this point in our journey that, you know, whenever I hear myself, I still feel a certain way about the way that my voice sounds. I don't love it. There's some degree of some sort of dysphoria adjacent thing going on. We've like met some professional podcasters and neither of us really sound like them. A lot of professional podcasters tend to skew male and tend to have vocal delivery and production tendencies that are not ours, that are older, more quote unquote formal and polished and have a lot more masculinities within them. I don't want to sound that way, but it's cool that people are okay with and getting used to us sounding a different way from that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Should we go in a quick circle and do like one or two biggest takeaways from the story. Let's go full sap, like the lesson you learned from the story of the Heroes of Olympus. I feel like Carter, it starts with a Y. It's one word. <laughs> oh my, I think the word is yielding. The books kind of are a Percivet story at heart. And there's something about the way that the hero's journey for these people is about taking a step back and recognizing the power that other people hold and recognizing your limitations. It's so powerful and really unlike so much of what else we get in media specifically for children but even across the board yielding in the context of the grand sweep of time recognizing all the things that you cannot do and all the people that you have to depend on who came before you and will come after you to continue the work we see this of course so much in the bob and damason section of it but also in all the conversations we have with the gods and the way that the heroes all process what it feels like to be constantly battling these monsters to be interacting with these resurrected primordial beings in the form of monsters but also in these books people who literally come back from the dead they're interacting with all these famous old villains of greece who are mortals and yeah recognizing the limitations that you have and being able to accept your interconnectedness with those who come before and those who come after and the obligations that you have to each other is so beautiful 
that surrender that has to happen is something that I really came away from these books with. Yeah, that was really beautiful. I like that it kind of started with yielding. And also, I like that it was about Percy and Annabeth. um i think i and i might be false here based on carter's answer but i really do think when i was reading these books like my biggest takeaway was like teamwork and trust and Mm. maybe it's because i'm someone who relies so heavily on community and friendship but i mean this is a five book series with nine different perspectives and in each one, you get to learn about those characters, and you get to learn how like they kind of need to depend on each other. While I was reading it, it was really important for me to see, like, oh, they have to have a certain level of trust. That's very important when you're going on life-threatening adventures like I do every weekend. <laughs> Bowling. Bowling. <laughs> but yeah, trust was like a really big uh, motif in that for me. I think going back to like what Carter said about it being a a Persebeth story at heart, it really is them bringing up the next generation. I know like they're the same age, but now they're they're able to take that role where they can step back and have the other people that are there and they're confident and have a good enough relationship with them that they're okay with them leading where the demigod world is going in the future. Yeah. The same thing in different words. Knowing that you're not always the main character and that Just wanting to help doesn't mean you're the right person to help. It may not be your story, and that's okay. Maybe you already had your story, maybe it hasn't happened yet. You're still a part of this. Not being in the forefront doesn't mean that you're not still there. So knowing when it's your place, and yielding not just to other people, but to quote-unquote fate, um, (laughs) just knowing that (laughs) you can only control what you can control. Okay, I got a pretty big question for you guys. Don't say what's what's happening next. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, actually, okay, hold on. I want to have a question. I have a prediction. Do you want to hear my prediction? Please do, yeah. Okay, I have two. My, like, more prominent one in my brain is that you guys take a hiatus. You enjoy living in your new cities and you have wonderful lives. And then you reboot when the Percy Jackson TV show airs and it becomes a watch podcast. And my other prediction is you just bite the bullet and you do Trials of Apollo and you do Magnus Chase and you just keep going because at the end of the day, Percy Jackson is love, Percy Jackson is life. We've been planning for a long time. I mean, we had like multiple like options of what we could do. And then we kind of like settled on a combination of two things, which is basically exactly what you said. The whole goal when starting this podcast was to be ready for the TV show to come out. So we will be here for weekly episodes when the TV show drops, 100%. That's a non-negotiable. Amen. But before then, (laughs) we're planning on revisiting The Lightning Thief in depth and doing an episode by episode like prediction of what we think is going to be in each episode of the TV show and just re-talking about the first book since, you know, we were baby children podcasters when we first went through it. And we're also going to probably address Trials of Apollo and Magnus Chase in publication order, but something really rapid and ridiculous, like we're going to do one episode on every book. Seems about right. Just to have the plot out of the way so that by the time the Solangelo book comes out, we've covered our bases. I love it. I love it. You guys are great. You're doing amazing things, you know? I didn't expect to be interviewed at the end of the episode today. I'm sorry. thought better answers. I'm really sorry. I do have one last question for you guys. And that is, do you believe Percibeth is the greatest love story ever told? Do you want to confer? (laughs) (laughs) They're actually whispering. (laughs) You can go ahead. You can go ahead. No, you got it. This is all you. This is all you. This is all you. 
So I think I think it's second only to me and Blue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was pretty close. You know. It was um, hard to make the decision. Yeah. Percy Beth is only runner up to Blush, but I <laughs> agree. They'll get there one day. <laughs> Well, thank you both so much. I'm sure we'll do a wrap-up episode similar to how we did The Last Olympian with a ton of podcasters. We'll play some trivia games. We'll have some more conversations and reflections. But this was the best end I could have possibly imagined. So thank you both. We're happy to be here. We had a blast. It was great. rock. It was really fun. Congratulations on your forever love story. (laughs) The greatest one ever told. (laughs) And we'll see you guys on the flip side. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much.